human beings have uh, an amazing ability to memorize. And you might think, how is that possible? Just pick up any kid and ask him about their favorite footy team or soccer team. And I said to him, why don't you memorize more? He said, yeah. And he said, okay, we'll start. And Alhamdulillah, within five years, he finishes Hifl. Imagine the Quran as the Kaaba. And sort of everything, the Islamic sciences, the deen, um, the aspect, the fine and details of the deen, they're doing tawaf around the Quran. SubhanAllah, your ability to memorize Quran, uh, you strengthened that memory muscle. Does that mean you got to fly through medical school? Always in the back of your mind, is my amal going to be accepted? Am I going to go to Jannah or am I going to end up in hellfire? I think it's very important that um, there are people that are involved in seeking knowledge or ilm and da'wah that do have a profession. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He replaces one thing with something better. He replaces your family that are going to walk away from you inevitably with angels that are going to come down and bring down those tidings with them. SubhanAllah. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of Quran in Action. Today we have with us our beloved brother Labib Ahmed, a hafiz of the Quran and a medical doctor. Today we're going to talk about how we can link a religious study with an academic study and then we're going to go down the path of talking about the importance of implementing the Quran in action. Brother Labib, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for making the time and coming here today and let's get straight to it. Um, mashallah, you're a hafiz at what age? Um, Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah, ma ba'd. Thank you for having me here today. Um, alhamdulillah, I finished hafiz at the age of 16. Mashallah. And you want to take us through the journey? Where did it start? What was the motivation? Where you did it at? I'll leave it with you. Um, I started like most people at home with my parents, alhamdulillah. Um, my dad is actually a Medina graduate. Um, so alhamdulillah, I started with him. My mother and I'm the youngest of five siblings, so sort of everyone had a role to play in helping me learn the small surahs, those du'as. Um, so I started there. Um, with my father, I did about eight ajza at home. Um, but then due to his work commitments, his university was studying as well, I started joining one of the local masjids here. And back then, you know, around the 2000s, there aren't many Qur'an schools, but whether it's part-time or full-time. So this Qur'an school is about 15 minutes away, it's part-time after school timings. So the main objective with going there was to solidify the eight ajza memorized. But that took a while. Um, and How was, old were you then? I was eight years old when I joined that part-time school. And due to school and other commitments, it never really happened for me. So you still had time for school while you memorized eight yeah, ajza? Yeah. So it was just normal school day. And then after, you could say after Asr till about Maghrib, we go to the part-time school at the local masjid. Um, but the issue was due to stopping and starting inconsistencies, I didn't get very far. And it got to a point when I was about 13, 14, only two or three ajza were actually good and the rest were very weak. Um, SubhanAllah from the tawfiq of Allah Azza wa Jal, my dad got a job offer in the Middle East, in Dubai actually. So we moved there, my parents and I, we moved there. And alhamdulillah, an opportunity opened up for me there to memorize Quran. Again, part-time. So this uh, halaqa would be at the local masjid from Asr to about Maghrib, five days a week. And I restarted from Juz Amma again. Wow. Um, so I knew some ajza from the front initially and some from the back, but the method that they follow there is you memorize from Juz Amma all the way to Al-Baqarah. So I started there and alhamdulillah, I made really good progress. Um, they're very qualified teachers there free of any cost. Um, the the students there from different backgrounds. I had a um, classmate who was half Egyptian, half Japanese, wow. but Australian citizen. Um, I had Emirati classmates. I had uh, Syrian classmates. So SubhanAllah, Dubai is like Sydney, a very multicultural place. Correct. So Alhamdulillah, I made good progress there. But sorry, you still had academic studies there? Yeah. So I went to school like every other kid. School in Dubai would start around 7.45, finish at 3, a bit longer actually. Yeah. Um, and the hifl would be from about, say 4, 4.30, depending on summer or winter, till about 6. Um, and actually would go, all the students would go to the park after, play soccer, play cricket, whatever. Um, so alhamdulillah, through that part-time school, I made solid progress. 
Then we had to move to Malaysia. My dad got another job. And Alhamdulillah, in Malaysia, I finished my hifl, actually. Um, and then I moved back to Australia for university studies. Mashallah. I guess a question I want to ask is, a lot of people that memorize the Quran, especially in their youth, did you want to do this wholeheartedly yourself? Mm, that's an excellent question. In the beginning, as a child, um, there is, so you could say, some family pressure to do hifl. And it was my parents' big dream that at least one of their children Finish the hifl. What about the four before you? They didn't finish. <laughs> Inshallah, they will. Inshallah, Inshallah they will. Inshallah. Um, so it was their dream. So initially, it was more from their encouragement. But I personally wasn't as keen. But when we moved to Dubai, my dad didn't say anything to me. I was the one that said, Dad, can we find out if there's a local halaqa or hifl? And one thing that really inspired me was the excellence in recitation of the imams there. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I've never lived in a Muslim country. So going there, you hear the adhan, you hear the recitation on the speakers for all five salawat. And the recite is amazing there. So for me, that was like a turning point. Like I want to be able to be uh, so proficient in the Quran like this imam. So subhanAllah, you mentioned that you, in Dubai, you'd, you'd hear the Quran, you'd hear the adhan over the speakers. Like it's true, yeah? Like the, the, the Quran itself touches you in ways just by hearing it, by listening to it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's a complete different environment. Um, surely you had some hurdles along the way. At what stage, at what juzot did you say, I can't get past this, I'm stuck, what do I do? I guess the, the first major hurdle was restarting. So you have something and then the sheikh says, no, no, we're restarting. So I remember when I was in Juzah Mujustabarak, these are the ajza, like, they're supposed to be known by with any student of Quran really mm -hmm. and I'd be looking at the Mus'haf thinking how much I've left and it's <laughs> much more left than much more, uh, much more left than what I've memorized um, but Alhamdulillah the Sheikh there he's from Senegal actually um, he had a very positive attitude um, and he'd always encourage us to keep going and he never put us down or never made us feel like we're not doing enough and he may Allah reward him he Amen. took me from you could say half a page a lesson and he built me up slowly. So it was never too um, exhausting or too overwhelming to memorize. And that gradual process um, didn't, uh, sort, it sort of helped me um, overcome any minor hurdles because I'm starting at a new level. You could say I'm re-memorizing re again. My capacity is lower. So to memorize half a page is easier. And then slowly as my capacity increased, my portion increased. And he took charge of that. I didn't have any say in it. And that's another good thing I'd say. So where did you get to? By, by the time you were done, how many pages could you memorize a day? Um, about, you could say two pages a day was, or two and a half pages a day was, was a good average by the time I was finished, alhamdulillah. So mashallah, you're a medical doctor now, or, or a graduate, you're a GP? Um, no, I'm just working in hospital at the moment. Okay. Um, so... What have you looked into the science behind being able to memorize two whole pages a day? Because anybody out there, myself included, um, would say that, mashallah, it's a miracle, right? Um, but we know from studies that there's things called what, muscle memory. Does that exist? Yeah, definitely. Uh, me yeah. Memory muscle. So with uh, memorizing, uh, I did a bit of reading in psychology and so on. With memorizing, it's like a, your brain's like a muscle. The more you work it, the 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 capacity of it increases, um, and I think human beings have uh, an Im amazing ability to memorize. And you might think, how is that possible? Just pick up any kid and ask him about their favorite footy team or soccer team. They know their names. They know when they're born, their number, which team they came from, how much the transfer fee was. They know all these minute details um, about their favorite team. So when this when someone's actually passionate about something. Um, they can actually obtain a lot of information and remember it. And I see in medicine too, you find specialists that are excellent in their field. They know so many little minute details about their field. That is, when you look at it, you're like, wow, how did they remember all these details, all these studies, the textbook, what did, which textbook said what? And they remember it, subhanAllah. And obviously Allah said, We have made the Quran easy remembrance. So with the Quran, if someone is sincere and they put the effort in, Allah will make it easy for them, inshallah. SubhanAllah. I guess um, another question that comes to mind is, and you hear this a lot, can someone memorize in Australia? 
100%. Alhamdulillah, one of the most beautiful university experiences I had um, where there were, there were many friends of mine, brothers um, at university that finished their memorization at university. So I had a brother, I remember he came to university, university he's a year below me, um, and he only knew Juz Amma on his first day of university. Just Juz Amma. And he was revising it actually. So subhanAllah, we had this initiative at university to encourage each other to memorize. And I said to him, why don't you memorize more? He said, yeah. And he said, okay, we'll start. And Alhamdulillah, within five years, he finishes Hifal. And he's a father of two. And he's 25 years old, subhanAllah. Father of two, finishes degree as a paramedic. Um, and not just him, there's actually few examples. There's uh, two um, brothers I know, that blood brothers. They both finished their memorization while at university. Then that previous brother, his best friend finished. And he's a teacher. Inshallah. So Alhamdulillah, just within Southwest Sydney, I can name you at least five to ten examples that memorized late teens to say mid-twenties. All in Australia, All yeah, Australia never traveled abroad. Without going full-time, without going abroad. Didn't stay in a better one tent, didn't go to Yemen no. and, and write on the um, alawah. <laughs> no, no. Obviously, those methods are, are probably from the highest of quality. But oh, Of course, we're we not work within our context. we're talking about people yeah. like us. So, yeah, 100%. So two old guys like me and Dean in, in our 30s, yeah. is there a hope for, is there hope definitely, for us? Definitely, definitely. Inshallah. I think the matter sort of goes back to a few important things and one of them is obviously sincerity and then being truthful with what you want mm -hmm. and being consistent is another important thing and having a teacher i think these four or five things uh repetition they're sort of the the core of memorizing if you have these things um inshallah you will reach your goal inshallah you touched on two things there tips and mentors or teacher yeah. we want to talk about both um I want to get off you some practical tips. Talk to me. Like, you know, I'd love to be able to do this. Alhamdulillah, I can read Arabic. Um, I've wanted to for a long time, but, you know, life's life, yeah? Um, you know, married, kids, business, this and that. How much time do I have to invest? Um, obviously, I agree with you. There has to be sincerity and I need to want this. Yeah. But um, practically, how much time do I need to invest? And what are a couple of tips you can give to someone like me or anybody listening today? In terms of investing time, obviously, the more you can invest, the better. Um, but I know given how busy Sydney, like life in Sydney is, it's difficult. But I think one to two hours pure Quran time daily can get you a long way. But pure, no, no phone or um, distractions or anything. Um, one to two hours with a teacher in, or a part of a class, I think, can get you a long way. And a lot of these brothers, they had kids... They got married, they had university studies, they worked, you know, security, like all these other jobs, retail, just to make ends meet. And they still, alhamdulillah, finish their hifl. But one thing they would do is they'd be very focused in those one to two hours um, and put all their time and effort in. They had a mentor, a teacher, a sheikh that would just double check with them, listen to their hifl, give them a plan, make a revision plan for them. Um, and just chipping away at it for, you could say, two, three, four years, Consistently, you'll actually achieve the goal, inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah. Um, I guess medicine. Why study medicine for? <laughs> it's actually a difficult question. Um, uh, there's no doubt my parents obviously encouraged me to, to pursue uh, medicine. They wanted another dream for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One dream wasn't enough. <laughs> um, but it was, you could say, a combination of a few reasons. Um, there was something, so with medicine initially it was, it was more their encouragement and me just sort of following along. But then there was a turning point in my life, um, late teens, um, it's early 20s. Um, so a few things happened um, that led me to going towards medicine. I could, I could say to, su to summarize the key you know, reasons would be medicine's a great profession to getting involved in helping people. And there's a hadith for the Prophet the best of people are those who are most beneficial to people. And this, you know, career is a fulfillment of that uh, hadith. Um, also, on top of that, it's a profession that gives a lot of flexibility once you complete the hard yards, you could say. So, personally, I'm interested in seeking knowledge and in, in da'wah. So, this is something I could work in that gives me room to work less, but still make decent money, alhamdulillah, and give more time to other things. Um, and I think it's a profession that deals with people. Um, and that's... 
the profession of the prophets, dealing with people, giving them da'wah. So, like personally, I I don't like you know working behind a desk or something. Um, whereas here, you're actually helping people with their problems, whether it's a medical problem, a psychological problem, a social problem, even you're out there and you're helping them. Um, so I could say these are a few reasons. Or oh, another reason on top of that is in our in our communities, doctors are looked up to, and sadly. Um, the could say the stereotype is that mashaykh aren't respected you know if if a doctor's in a gathering people take his or her word very seriously but with a sheikh they might oh he only became a sheikh because he couldn't do anything else they have sadly they have this mentality so um taking inspiration from actually some mashaykh overseas in egypt and other countries that are doctors and sheikhs or lawyers and sheikhs like sheikh Adnan himself um i think it's very important that um there are people that are involved in seeking knowledge or ilm and da'wah that do have a profession that is respected. So that when they say something, it's taken seriously. And when they do give fatwa in their field, it's based on knowledge and based on understanding the context. Not just, I studied overseas, I came back, I don't really understand what's happening or I don't understand this particular aspect or field, whether it's uh, medicine, psychology, law, finances. There's so many fields we deal with in Australia. Um, so if I have the Islamic knowledge and I understand that field, then I can give the correct fatwa, give the correct information to the people. And you can basically implement the Quran in action, right? Yeah, definitely, inshallah. I like it. You know what it reminds me of? Um, it reminds me of a YouTube clip of uh, Dr. Zakir Naik. Yep. And he's talking and he's giving a lecture and the guy is asking him questions and he's trying to argue with him. He goes, why are you arguing with me? He goes, I'm the doctor. I'm actually a medical doctor. I know this more than you. You're trying to tell me the Quran is wrong, but you're not a medical doctor. You know, if you want to rebut it, you need to come with some sort of knowledge, authority to try and rebut it. Dr. Zakir is saying, I'm a medical doctor and I'm telling you it's true. Go become a doctor and then come and talk to me. So subhanAllah, you're 100% right. And we look at the... Um, and we look at even the Sahaba or even the Khulafa that, that ruled in, in, in the early times of Islam and they all would have an academic knowledge yeah, behind them. Touch on that point, yeah. Yeah. Subhanallah. So subhanAllah. Um, just a food for thought. So subhanAllah, your ability to memorize Quran, uh, you strengthened that memory muscle. Does that mean you got to fly through medical school? Uh, not, not quite. Uh, medicine is still quite difficult, um, alhamdulillah. Because there's a lot of memory involved, yeah, right? Yeah. And a lot of reading. and yeah. But I'd say the um, the things I benefited from memorizing, obviously the Quran brings barakah to, to everything you do. Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarak. A book we sent down that brings blessing. So I could see the blessing, alhamdulillah, from the tawfiq, tawfiq of Allah Azza wa Jal in my time, in you know managing my time, being disciplined. Um, these things helped, uh, Quran helped with these things. Um, also I'd say, Revising content because when you have to when you memorize you have to revise what you memorize in Quran and same thing in other sciences you could say so a plan to revising content um, plan to learning or quick tricks or memory tricks to remember or to connect two different points so these um, you could say tools came in handy alhamdulillah so is it is it safe to say or is it true to say for anybody out there who's going through university who might say look I want to memorize the Quran, but I don't have time, right? Is it safe to say that the time they're going to allocate in memorizing the Quran is going to teach them some tips that might reduce some of their academic revision time? Um, do you think it becomes a burden or, or do, do you, I don't know, you, you know what I'm trying to say? I, I think if we zoom out a bit and we look at that first point, not having enough time, I think everyone has time, but they give it to their priorities. So if you make Quran your priority, you, you can make time for it. And I think when you do make time for it, then the barakah of the Quran, which is something we can't really explain directly, will impact everything else you do. And this is why the scholars of hadith, they would, have, they, they would say, the more we involve ourselves with the Quran, the more it helped us with memorizing and writing a hadith. So the more we get involved with this, so they don't want to stop reading. They're like, we want to keep memorizing, we keep revising because it's we can see the barakah in everything else we do. So I guess it's it's sort of, there's no sort of scientific way to explain it, but there's definitely a connection. Yeah. SubhanAllah, it's all about that belief, SubhanAllah, in the words of Allah SubhanAllah Ta'ala. 
I guess in terms of your favorite verse, um, tell us what is your favorite verse and how do you implement it in your day-to-day life? Um, the thing is with the favorite verse, I think it changes from time to time depending on your situation in life, I guess. But one verse um, that I've been sort of thinking about a lot um, is Surah Fussilat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, which means indeed those who say Allah is our Lord and they remain steadfast the angel will come down imagine on their deathbed the angels come down and they tell the person we come with glad tidings don't fear and don't grieve we give you glad tidings of Jannah what you have promised and the amazing thing is if you reflect on this ayah, when someone's passing away, the people around them are sad, losing this person. But the person who strived, especially, you know, living in the West, there's so many temptations, so many struggles that a Muslim goes through. They fight all the struggles and they remain steadfast. Then in that time, in that particular moment, that person's happy because he knows and she or he or she knows that what's to come is better. Better. And the angels come, don't fear and don't grieve about what, don't fear about what's to come and don't grieve about what happened. We've give you, we come to give you glad tidings of Jannah. So I think this ayah given, you know, the, 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 the challenges we face as Muslims in the West um, in all various forms, whether it's, you know, in youth work or in counseling, you, you see it everywhere that Allah gives us hope with this ayah that the, the price of our struggle or the reward of our struggle is Jannah. And the more there is struggle, um, inshallah, the, the more there is reward. SubhanAllah. I guess um, I did hear this verse, uh, Sheikh Abu Bakr Zod, done a talk about this, and Allahu Akbar, you know, his tafsir, Allah Mubarak, is next to none. And SubhanAllah, like for us as believers, for us as people who strive towards uh, doing good to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's always in the back of your mind, is my amal going to be accepted? Am I going to go to Jannah? Or am I going to end up in hellfire? And so this verse, when I heard it the first time, and then the tafsir around it, it brings you that kind of solace, I guess, in your heart where you're like, subhanAllah, inshallah, yani, if I uh, stay steadfast on doing uh, good deeds for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm-hmm. sincerely, that in that moment of hardship, right, the angels will come down. Like Imagine that it's not like your mom or dad will tell you, you'll be all right, son. Mm-hmm. The angels will come down. And subhanAllah, and give you those bad tidings. So so the way the verse touches me, just hearing it from yourself, Sheikh. So the way I hear, and you explained it, that at that time, the people around you are grieving, but then they're going to leave you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He replaces one thing with something better. He replaces your family that are going to walk away from you, inevitably, with angels that are going to come down and bring down those tidings with them subhanallah uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you um, look you've touched upon it uh, I know it's a bit of a personal question but we need to encourage people out there to get connected with the Quran unfortunately we live in an age where everybody is so um, so far apart from one another yet alone with their deen and with their Quran um, what blessings have you seen that you can relate to your relationship with the Qur'an? Um, one of my teachers, he, he explained, you could say, the importance of the Qur'an in this way. He said, imagine the Qur'an as the Kaaba, And sort of everything, the Islamic sciences, the deen, um, the, aspect, the fine and details of the deen, they're doing tawaf around the Qur'an. So think of it like that in the sense that when you make the Qur'an the central aspect of your life, um, and you make it part of your life. And it's a very common Sheikh Abu Ubaidah principle. When you make the Qur'an part of your life, it rectifies and it corrects your purpose. It gives you direction. It gives you guidance. Then when it comes to um, your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're investing yourself in His speech, in His 
um, words in what he, um, he said for to mankind. When you invest in yourself in in that, then you will see your manners improve, inshallah. You will see your knowledge uh, expand, inshallah. You see your rizq expand, inshallah. You will see the way you deal with others, your relationships with them improve. I don't know where to start because it, subhanAllah, it's like a um, domino effect. It just keeps going and going. Allah barik fiqh. Sheikh, let's get straight to it. Uh, I think what we want to hear from you is three practical verses from the Quran that we can derive tips on how to implement them daily. So the verse and how, and just advice to anybody listening today, this is the verse and how do you implement it? Mm. Um, the first verse uh, I would I would suggest is the end of Surah Al-Ankabut, Allah SWT says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِيْنَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah SWT says, Those who struggle and strive for our sake, we will surely guide them to our paths. Indeed, Allah is with those who practice ihsan, excellence. So, subhanAllah, um, speaking to many brothers, even the youth, everyone has their own challenges. And they're trying, alhamdulillah, one, one of the good things about living in the West is despite the challenges, you see beacons of hope, people trying their best to stay on deen, to leave uh, something haram. And when you're in that journey, you, and, you, and you remember this ayah, the more I strive against my nafs and strive and struggle and make tawbah and try to um, get get into good ways, good habits, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, if you put in that effort, we will surely guide you. And there's a hidden sort of uh, oath here, like but Allah, Allah says, but Allah will surely guide you. Um, so for anyone out there that's uh, struggling with a sin or struggling with a problem in their life, remember that. If you strive and struggle and you uh, you do ihtisab, you, you seek the ajr from Allah, Allah will take care of your affairs inshallah. So they've got, so they or we, we've got a, a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. It's in his Quran, right? That he will guide us. Just do your part. Yeah. Just just do your part and the result is what? Guaranteed? Is that is that how you yeah, would the guidance the is guaranteed. The guidance is guaranteed. So tip number one, guys, just go out there. Strive, be good, but do ihsan, right? So be good along the way. So do things, but do them the right way, the good way. Ihsan can also mean what? Perfection, do it correctly. Yeah, do it correctly. And Allah says he's with them. And he's with you. And this is special, it's called special ma'iyah. That Allah is with this person as he'll take care of their affairs. He'll look after them in a special way. He, Allah looks after all his creation. But this is like a from the ibad, the special slaves. SubhanAllah. Yeah. So do what you got to do, continue striving, perfect what you're doing, it, doing it the right way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed you that he's going to be there with you. Subhanallah. Number two. Number two. Um, it's a couple of ayat, the short ones. Go for it. وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى وَأَنَّ سَعْيَهُ سَوْفَ يُرَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Najm, um, for mankind is nothing except for what he strives and the effort he puts in. And in, and surely he will see, or it will be seen, or his effort will be seen on the Day of Judgment. Um, a lot of the time we put in effort, in many avenues, many aspects, but we don't see the results straight away. So we, we lose hope, we give up. Um, I tried this, uh, I tried to make tawbah, it didn't work. I tried to memorize Quran, it didn't work. Uh, I tried to go back to deen, it didn't work. But as long as, again, similar to the previous one, but here Allah is saying, as long as you put the effort in, the results with Allah. And a lot of us may, may start Islamic projects um, or even projects within our house. You want to teach your son or daughter Quran, but you tried your best. They're not that interested. SubhanAllah, what, what can you do? But know that every single second you put in, that's going to be seen on the Day of Judgment. That will be in your books, even though the results aren't there. Results are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you have to do the means and strive and put the effort in. So I guess how what I derive from there is give an example of someone in business, right? So you can say, well, I, I did this, I tried to close this deal, it didn't close. In the business sense of you, you've done nothing, right? Because you haven't closed the deal. But when we're talking about deen and Islam, putting the effort into to doing something good, say you've got a neighbor or a friend, just say you've got a friend that isn't praying. 
brother, pray, brother, pray, come with us, come with us, come with us. Four or five years passed in the uni campus. He graduates, he moves out, and you look at yourself and you say, you know what, I couldn't get this brother to pray. In the business sense of you, you've done nothing. In the religious sense of you, what does the ayah say? He will say his efforts. And subhanAllah, from you could say the qadr or tawfiq of Allah Azza wa sometimes that brother will end up beginning to pray because he remembers you giving him that da'wah when you were younger. And so often you're planting a seed, but you don't see the fruit straight away. And subhanAllah, sometimes you don't see the fruit, but your edge is with Allah. And that's why someone like Nuh alayhi salam gave da'wah for 950 years. And the narration say that like the, the maximum number found in the narration is 80 people. 80 people. And this is a prophet of Allah. I'm not just uh, one of us, you know, giving down the street or something. This is a prophet of Allah. Um, but Nuh Hassam is from the Ulul Azm, Min al Rusul, from the, you could say, the top five. So it's not about the result, yeah. it's about the effort. Yeah. Yeah. SubhanAllah. Yeah. That's uh, the beautiful thing about uh, the religion, right? In the corporate world, in the business world, there's KPIs, you know, it's driven by key yeah. performance indicators with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's based on the effort, subhanAllah. Definitely. Allahu Akbar. Number three. Um, number three. وَإِذْ تَأَذَّنَ رَبُّكُمْ لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Ibrahim, and this is uh, Musa alayhi salam sort of advising or admonishing his people. Basically, the, the part I'm trying to emphasize on is he says, if you are grateful, uh, Allah says to them, if you are grateful, I will surely increase you. And Alhamdulillah, one of the, um, you could say, benefits of living in the West is we are inundated with blessings wherever we go. Um, sometimes more than we deserve. Mm. Of course, more than we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Not sometimes. <laughs> because subhanAllah, if you think about it, um, the countries we're originally from, they might not have electricity, clean water, uh, meat, bread, <laughs> basic necessities of life, they don't have them. Alhamdulillah, you know, if you're a kid growing up here, you, you, you're hungry, you're you want the food, you could just, Uber yeah. Eats even, subhanAllah. The food will come to you. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Um, so we have a lot of blessings and Allah Taala says, if you are grateful, we'll surely increase you. Now, what's amazing about this ayah is Allah Taala doesn't need our gratitude. That's the first thing. And he gave us these blessings without us deserving of them. That's the second thing. And then he says to us, if you are grateful, like that would have been enough, right? Because we got the blessing and we're, we're thanking Allah. Right. You told me that well, I will increase you. And there's a, again, hidden oath here. I will surely increase you. So look at the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we, don't, we get blessings we don't deserve. We do what he tells us and we just say, oh Allah, you know, um, put barakah in this and we thank him. We, we, we say, oh, nashkurka ya Allah. We, we thank you, oh Allah. And just for our meager thanks, which even wasn't even that good, he says, I will increase you. I'll give you more blessing, more blessing. And then the scholars say, Allah didn't say where he'll increase us. He left it general. And as Sa'adi Rahimah says, that means blessings in many things. It could be in our children, in our marriages, in our work, in our rizq, in our knowledge, in our wisdom, um, in the ability to do more good deeds, in just our contentment. SubhanAllah, Allah says, I'll increase you in so many ways. So we miss this very important concept of gratitude, I feel, uh, living here because we, we're so blessed, alhamdulillah, that we don't I, I realize think, it. I think yeah. we feel that like we're entitled to this, right? Mm. Like, um, you know, why should I be thankful that, you know, I'm driving a car? I have to drive a car. How do I get around? Why should I be thankful that, you know, I get home and there's food on the table? Of course, there has to be food on the table. Um, but I think where it becomes a double-edged sword, and I use this word a lot, is back home or in the poorer countries or the poorer neighborhoods, um, they might say, oh, you know, what do we need to be thankful for? We haven't got anything. Mm. And then here we say, oh, well, what do we need to be thankful for? Like, it, yeah, Everyone's got it. Yeah. Everyone's driving a car. So subhanAllah, the way I look at this verse is that the people that have uh, worldly provisions and the ones that don't are all under this banner, right? The people that don't have and the people that have, we all need to be thankful for what we have. Um, and I can see an infinite loop, you know, be thankful and, and be given more by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be thankful, be given more. 
طيب what about the people that aren't thankful? What what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say there? He says in in the same ayah um and wala in kafartum inna adabi la shadid. Those who are ungrateful, indeed my punishment is severe. And the reason you that it, this ayah is so you say strong in its wording is the analogy the scholars like to use is imagine um a parent that gives their child everything everything that they, they ever wanted and never asked for anything in return and um despite all the provisions and facilities and blessings that person still decides to disobey their parent despite all of that they wouldn't that be uh, sort of an unfair return or unfair um reply to the parent so obviously allah ta'ala he gives us what we don't deserve so obviously the 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 price of ingratitude is very hefty so i'd like to invite you to look into your camera inshallah um and anyone who's muslim or non-muslim that hasn't read the quran what would you tell them to do as allah says in surah nahl he says man amila salihan min dhakarin aw untha wa huwa mu'minun fala nuhyiyannahu hayatan tayyibah he said, whoever does good deeds, whether male or female, and they're a believer, then they will, Allah says, we will surely give them a, a happy life, a wholesome life. And we will surely reward them with a reward um, that's befitting of their actions, meaning we will surely reward them with Jannah. SubhanAllah, it always... It always um... SubhanAllah, it amazes me, right, how there can be a book out there that says, read me, I don't have no contradictions, I am the words of your creator. I'm not telling people out there to believe, you know, um, blindly, but the least people can do is read it, right, like, correct, or a part of it, or, or make the effort. Um, it's it's amazing how there are people out there that just say, nah, I don't believe in it. This is not right. And this, they they breed it and then make your decision. And subhanAllah, you just said it so eloquently, just Surah Al-Fatiha in its what, seven yep. verses just explains your, your purpose of existence, describes your creator, describes what you should be striving to, describes you and who you shouldn't be in seven verses. Imagine what you can get in over 600 pages. Subhanallah. Sheikh, segment just for you. We've called it Ask the Quran. Um, just a handful. So, Bismillah, the first one is Ask the Quran. What does the Quran say about our purpose in life? Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Dhariyat, <coughs> وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Meaning, we haven't created the jinn or, or the mankind except to worship me. So that, the purpose of the of the jinn and the mankind is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just to cover, just so that we're clear, in a couple of sentences, what does worship mean? So um, the scholars, or some of them have defined worship as everything you do, um, whether it's internal or external actions, to um, please God. Um, so that could be praying, that could be remembering him. It could be reciting the Quran. Um, and it could be even worldly things which you can turn into worship. So you um, work in healthcare and you have the intention of doing so because you know God loves those who help people. So that's an act of worship. Um, even eating, sleeping, if you have the right intentions, the scholars say, that they can become acts of worship that you get reward for. So if you eat so you can nourish yourself, so that you can pray more to God. If you sleep so you can give yourself energy the next day, so you can fulfill your duties and worship God. Worshipping God could be in the form of excellence towards your parents, excellence towards your family, even going out to earn halal or a, you could say, correct, a lawful income. That's part of ibad, part of worship. So it's a very broad term that everything you do to fulfill that, um, to please God. Subhanallah, we'll need a whole episode on that alone. Ask the Quran, Shaykh, what does the Quran say about the treatment of parents? 
وقضى ربك ألا تعبدوا إلا إياه وبالوالدين إحسانا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we have decreed and commanded that your Lord has decreed and commanded that you do not worship anyone except him and you have excellence towards your parents subhanallah straight after each other yeah and this connection between tawheed and excellence to parents is in a few places in the quran not just surah al-isra um and the ayah goes on saying if they, once they reach old age um sort of take them show them humility and make dua for them that allah gives them mercy like they were merciful to you when you were young um so you won't find subhanallah a a lifestyle or a way of life that emphasizes this so much and you look at the ahadith and the way the sahaba lived and how they would honor their parents um there's hadith prophet where he says the the um the happiness or the or the the pleasure of the parents or, or the father is the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so subhanallah to any hot-headed teenager out there who thinks i am it and go to the mosque five times a day and he's studying whatever and goes home and says to his dad what do you know about what do you know you don't know what you're talking about the sheikh told me this and i know what i'm talking about read the quran my brother <laughs> it's true but man yeah. it's true you yeah. told me you can't you don't see it yeah, no, like 100%. we've been through it you know i'm not even going to yeah. talk about other people i'm going to talk about myself we all go through that teen age where we think that we're all high and mighty because our voice broke cracked through and because we're earning a couple of dollars you go to the mosque you hear a couple of things not that the sheikh is explaining it right it's that, that your method of, your parent could be wrong but your method of delivery, your method of going back and saying, my father, I think you've got things a bit wrong, is, is yeah. not happening the right way. And an excellent example is Ibrahim alayhi salam in the Quran. Um, in Surah Maryam, Ya abati, lima ta'abudu ma la yasma'u wa la yubasir wa la yughni anka shay'a. I might have got the A wrong. But basically it's the meaning of, oh my beloved father, why do you worship something that doesn't see, hear, can't benefit you? Um, oh my beloved father, don't worship shaitan. And oh my, I fear for you, oh my beloved father, that Ar-Rahman, the most merciful, might punish you for your for your sin. So, uh, subhanAllah, we need, I think one thing that as a community we can really improve on is going back to the prophets. Because these are Allah's chosen ones. These are the best example when it comes to da'wah, ibadah, uh, seeking knowledge. Um, i got a question for you, Labib. Uh, what does the Quran say about Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him? Um, the Quran says in Surah Maryam, قَالَ إِنِّي عَبَدُ اللَّهِ آتَانِيَ الْكِتَابَ وَجَعَلَنِي نَبِيَّا وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا أَيْنَمَا كُنْتُ وَأَوْصَانِي بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ مَا دُمْتُ حَيَّا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, Isa alayhi salam says, Indeed, I'm a slave of God. Slave Allah, of Allah. So these are the words of Isa alayhi salam. Yes. That has been given a book um, and he has made me a prophet. And he's made me blessed wherever I go. Meaning teaching khayr, teaching goodness. Yeah? Um, and he um, instructed me to uh, instruct the people with salah and zakah um, as long as I live. In another place in the Quran, um, he says, O Bani Israel, worship Allah alone. Whoever commits shirk with Allah, Allah made Jannah haram for him. Can we hear that verse? Um, <coughs> وَقَالَ الْمَسِيحُ يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ رَبِّي وَرَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةَ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارُ وَمَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ مِنْ أَنصَارِ الله says the ones who disbelieved have said that Allah is Jesus. وَقَالَ الْمَسِيحِ And Jesus says, the Messiah says, O people of Israel, worship um, 
my Lord and your Lord Allah. And whoever commits uh, associates partners with God, God has made paradise forbidden to him. SubhanAllah. And the last question, Sheikh. Um, what does Islam say about how to preach Islam? Um, probably the most famous ayah, Surah Nahl, <coughs> at near the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Udu'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal maw'idhati al hasanati wa jadilhum billati hiya ahsan. Invite to the way of your Lord with wisdom, bil hikmati wal maw'idhati al hasana, and good speech, good admonition. And if you're going to debate or discuss, then do so in the best manner. Um, so this ayah sort of summarizes the core um, aspects in da'wah, which is to do with wisdom. To, which And wisdom as defined by the scholars is saying the right thing at the right time and at, at the right place. So, for example, whether it's da'wah to non-Muslims or Muslims, an example would be a, a Muslim friend He's committed a lot of sins and now he's losing hope. It would be wrong to say, remind him of the ayat about Jahannam. Yeah. He would be like, you know, I'm going to Jahannam anyways. I'll keep sinning. But you remind him about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ayat about Jannah. Allah forgives sins. He's tawwab, he's ghaffar. Then that's hikmah. And maw'idhatul hasana. SubhanAllah. And then, like you mentioned, you know, وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِهِ أَحْسَنْ So even subhanAllah, when we are in a state of arguing or debating, sometimes it's about my voice is louder than your voice, you know, or I'm going to disrespect this person There's to get my point across. There's an etiquette to everything. Yep. There is an etiquette. So and as Shafi'i rahimahullah said, he was debating another scholar. And they were both had such beautiful manners that as Shafi'i said, by the end of the debate, I was convinced of his yes, opinion and he was convinced that. of my opinion. Because they're, subhanAllah, they're, they're pure. The ulama of the, of the salaf, they're so, pure. For the sake of the, the knowledge. Truth. Yeah, they're Correct. seeking the truth. They're not seeking the egos or something. SubhanAllah. Sheikh Labib, being a podcast about the Quran in action, and since we've got just a little bit of time left, we know that, mashallah, you're involved with a lot of youth, um, particularly at MIA in the university campus. Um, there's this thing going around called NextGen. What is it? Um, <laughs> NextGen is one of um, the initiatives we have at MIA in Liverpool, Marcus Imam Ahmed, and it's a youth program um, focused on tarbiyah so the age group that we target is around 12 to 20 and there's brothers and sisters and they run separately um, and it's targeted on tarbiyah because we were talking about these hot-headed teenagers and so on it's like one aspect but we realized that um, kids even if they go to islamic schools or they do seek knowledge and those are the sort of the practicing kids they're missing tarbiyah which is the application of that knowledge in the correct way and we also want to attract um, kids that don't um, have the opportunity to seek knowledge, that this is a pathway for them to get into seeking knowledge and learning about their deen. So it's a sort of youth program. There's educational element to it. So we focus on modern topics. Now we're covering a series on modern doubts and how to combat them. We've covered a series on um, love and desires. We've covered um, a series on steadfastness and guidance. We also covered a Kiri's sort of um, pod, series of podcasts ourselves. So we got people, we got a, a doctor, engineer, teachers. We got people from different professions giving us their input on how to get into this Kiri. So it's like a holistic sort of tarbiyah program. It's not educational in the sort of ilm shari sense where you study fiqh So you talk about life matters, right? Yeah. So we're talking about practicality of life and, yeah. and being in a, a masjid or a center environment um, I guess what you're trying to ultimately reach is how to connect your deen with your dunya, right? Yeah. Not this so, deen, but the real deen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the educational part is in the madrasa, the Saturday madrasa. So to get the full benefit, like you see our, our, our consistent regulars, they go to both. So they learn the fiqh and tafsir and seerah and aqidah in the madrasa. And they learn sort of it's an application, tarbiyah, tazkiyah, focus on the nafs, how to purify the nafs in the um, next gen. And how did this idea start? Um, there was always thoughts about starting something for the youth because the, the education or the madrasa, there isn't much we do with the shabab after the class ends. Like the class ends, you, you go home really. So we thought it'd be nice to have things we could do, sleepovers, camps, outings, um, and touch on these life matters as um, the brother was saying 
So it started, we, we trialed some things first before jumping into marketing it straight away. So we trialed like a sleepover, a little hike, 17 brothers. We saw what works, what doesn't work. Then slowly, slowly, we like, you know, we're ready to start and market it. So we started with our fortnightly youth events, which happened Wednesday nights at MIA. And subhanAllah, numbers grew very fast. From about 2030, we have 70, 80. Um, that's just brothers. And the sisters are now 35, and they just started recently as well. So alhamdulillah, um, yes, yeah, just a, a few older brothers. I must say older, I mean like mid-20s. Yeah, older. <laughs> really old, uh, man. Like older compared to the shabab. Um, we just got together. Because we, subhanAllah, we wished we had that when we were younger. That's sort of a, another big motivating factor. Like, I mean, our parents did the best they could. We, they moved from... Um, sometimes war-torn countries, poverty, to come here to give us the best life that they can give. So they didn't have time to create a Tarbiya program. They're so busy working just to make ends meet. Um, so alhamdulillah, we're privileged. We, they don't have to work as hard. Already things are usually set up for us. And these kids could really benefit from that sort of experience. And if you might agree with me here, that back home in our country, Tarbiya is an embedded part of the culture. Like for example, I know, in Bangladesh, if someone is smoking, an old man walks by, they will hide their cigarette. Hide it, that's right. <laughs> because it's just the shame that they... The, the now they're offering one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But here, we'll probably do it in his face, inshallah. <laughs> but there's that basic element of shame and basic manners and etiquettes. Um, that it's Which is all from here. the Quran, right? Yeah. It all, um, it's all from the Islamic culture and the source of it is the Quran and the Sunnah. SubhanAllah. I guess uh, a side note, I know we're running out of time. Um, MIA uh, is a place that's uh, close to my heart. Uh, Muhammad Rima knows this well. SubhanAllah, when I started my journey on the deen uh, in the 2013, uh, MIA had like a Build the Muhsineen event. Yeah. So it was like a Ahdikaf that was happening, I think, every Friday. Uh, and the MIA camps that I'd go to mm. every year, they were something that solidified, uh, I guess, the love of the deen for me. So... Um, I guess a nice little plug for MIA uh, for the great work that they do. It's never enough and we could talk about this all night. Um, thank you for making the time. I know you're, you're, you're a busy man, mashallah. Um, let's leave our viewers with a couple of verses and we'll wrap it up there. Mm. Your choice. <laughs> Don't talk about hellfire, but like, let's wrap it up good, yeah? Um. I might continue from the ayah I was mentioning earlier about steadfastness. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Inna alladheena qalu rabbuna allahu thumma istaqamu tatanazzalu alayhimu almalaikatu alla takhafu alla takhafu wala tahzanu wa abshiru bil jannah wa abshiru bil jannati allati kuntum tu'adun نحن أولياؤكم في الحياة الدنيا وفي الآخرة ولكم فيها ما تشتهي أنفسكم ولكم فيها ما تدعون نزلا من غفور رحيم ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين